0: You know, whenever I saw this video, there were, there was a phrase at the end that really stood out to me when she said, I love my kids. I love my husband. I have this incredible life. So why do I feel this way? And you know, the answer to that is simple. It's because of overload. And that's why we want to talk to you this morning a little bit about that since it's Mother's Day. Um, you know, the definition of overload. Let me give you the definition of overload and see if you can relate to this. Okay. It's an excessive load or amount to load with too great a burden or cargo, to give too much of something to someone, to put too great of a demand on something. Can any of you relate to that? Yeah. And so, you know, being that it's Mother's Day, I just want to use moms as an example. Um, I just want to give you not a day in the life of a mom, but pretty much every day in the life of the mom. So hopefully I can get through this pretty quickly, okay? So basically, as a mom, we wake up. We brush our teeth, because we know if we don't do that first, it'll never get done. We throw some clothes on, usually our favorite sweats, Maybe we brush our hair. We get the kids up and assist in getting them dressed. We feed them breakfast. We pack their lunches. We send them to school. Or maybe we homeschool them. So we have time. We have to take time to do that. Then we have to start the household chores that never end. Right? Right. The laundry has to be washed, folded, and put away. The dishes, we have to mop. We have to vacuum. We have to dust. We have to decontaminate the bathrooms, right? And just a side note, every time we pass through the kitchen to haul another load of laundry, we stop by the pantry for a snack because Lord knows we won't have time to eat lunch. Then we have to run to the grocery store, but it's not that simple because we have to stop by the bank first. And then we don't just go to the grocery store. We have to go to Walmart and Sam's as well. And then we got to get home and unload and put away the groceries. And then we have to start supper. And then when the kids get back from school, we have to bring them to their afternoon activities of dancing or soccer or baseball or karate. Then we have to come back home. We have to eat supper, help the kids with homework, bathe the kids, put the kids to bed, clean the kitchen, maybe put one more load of laundry washing. Yeah, I see some head shaking. And somewhere in there, find time to be a wife to our husbands, right? And finally, we get to lay down in bed. And when we put our heads on our pillow, the first thing we think is, there's something I forgot to do. I forgot to take a bath. Can anybody relate? Am I the only one? Yeah, there's some moms in here that can relate, right? And, and just to add another note, if you're a working mom, slide eight hours of work into all of that other stuff. That's a lot. That is overload. You know, we are, we're overworked, we're overwhelmed, we're overburdened, we're overcome with stress, and that's what sends us overboard, right? And, you know, I think it's Mother's Day and I wanted to focus a, a little bit on moms but really overload is not limited only to moms. You know, I believe that it's an it's an epidemic in our society and our culture as a whole. You know, have you ever heard that saying I've been running around with a ch- like a chicken with my head cut off? You familiar with that saying? Basically, we are a society of headless chickens. We are we are going 90 to nothing 24-7, and we are on full-throttle overload all the time. How do I know if I fall into this category of overloaded? Well, first, one, one thing that can determine that is maybe you're always late for something. Um, you never, never get anything finished. You may get it started. You may get it halfway done. You may get this close to getting it done but you can never get anything finished. Maybe you're in a constant state of stress and guilt. Do you always feel physically or emotionally drained? Do you turn into the Hulk at a drop of the hat? Is there no downtime in between the list of things that you have to do? Do you have too much to do and not enough day to do it? Do you have so many tasks and obligations that you can't figure out which one to tackle first? And here's the crucial one. Have you lost your joy in the journey of life? If you can relate to one or more of these things, more than likely you are on overload. Socrates said this, and I thought it was really interesting. He said, beware of the barrenness of a busy life beware of the barrenness of a busy life you know in our minds we think that when we we have a busy life that we're filling our time but really what it's doing is it's stripping us it's it's causing us to be barren of what of what god wants to manifest in our lives we're stripping ourselves you know an overload isn't uh, an overloaded life is not a healthy life It's not a fulfilling life. And it's not the life that we are called to as God's children. In Matthew chapter 11, 28 and 29, it says, Come to me, Jesus said this, Come to me and I will give you rest. All of you who work so hard beneath a heavy yoke, wear my yoke for it fits perfectly. And let me teach you. For I am gentle and humble, and you shall find rest for your souls. Jesus said, for I give you only light burdens. Again, we're not called to live a life of overload, right? It's not the life that God has called us as his children. That being said, how can we be free from the yoke of overload? Because, you know, it's available. (laughs) It's available everywhere we look. And sometimes in our minds, we think it's impossible to, to get away from it. But I want to tell you this morning that it is possible. And so I want to give you three biblical principles that help us get free from overload. And I want to give you some practical ways to apply each of those things. You know, these are some things. There are other, other, other principles in the Bible that we can go to but these three in particular are just some that the lord has has shown me in his word in reading his word in searching out the scriptures in just struggling with personal overload myself and and trying to get out from under that because you know you're i'm i get overloaded and i'm over it you know we get overloaded and we get over it and that's usually when we go to god right and so these are just some things that the lord has taught me and is teaching me currently. I've not mastered them yet, but I am aware of them and I'm I'm on the road to applying these and living these um, on a regular basis. Um, so I want to give you three biblical principles and again some practical ways. You know, um I have learned that the Bible is just as practical as it is spiritual. And so this may be a very practical message for you this morning in you may think, well, this this is church. We need spiritual things, but sometimes the practical is, is 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 just is just as important as the spiritual. That's what we need in our lives, so that we can break through to get into the spiritual realm, right? Because it's our flesh that holds us back sometimes. So let's start with that, and let's quickly go through the first principle that I have learned from the Bible is number one to establish healthy boundaries and guard them. You know, we talk about all that about that all the time. We need to establish boundaries, but we forget that just as we need to establish boundaries, we need to guard those boundaries. You know, the concept of boundaries comes from the very nature of God. It and and he gave us boundaries to take care of us and to protect us as his children. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter two, the Bible says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. You see, God placed Adam and Eve in a physical boundary in the garden, and then he set parameters even within that garden, boundaries for them to follow, to not, not to punish them, not to um, uh, constrain them or limit them, but to protect them and, and, to, um, and to take care of them so that they, they could be healthy and live healthy lives and live whole lives. OK, and so that's why God gave us boundaries. Boundaries for us, they establish a place that will keep us in a healthy state. They're not constraints or limits. They're actually empowering. If you can successfully function in life within the parameters of the boundaries that that you have set for yourself, you will actually feel empowered. Empowered. They protect your time from being hijacked. Yeah. Most importantly, they will protect God's will for your life. Because when you're not living within the boundaries of God's will for your life, you will be living in the boundaries of other people's will for your life. And that is not a healthy place to be. Right? Boundaries are simply just knowing where you begin and where you end. Where do I begin and where do I end? It's anything that helps you differentiate you from someone else, right? Your responsibilities from their responsibilities. When we don't set up boundaries, we will end up imprisoned by the limits that other people have set for us. You know, it's it's not only essential, again, it's not only essential to establish boundaries, but we need to guard them. We need to guard them. You know, boundaries are like the walls of a sandcastle. The second that you let one of them fall over, the rest of them will come crashing down. The rest of them will come crashing down. So you have to check for breaches in your boundaries sometimes. And those you have to work on and repair them and you have to really protect them. You know, um, Adam and Eve, again, you know, they didn't guard the boundaries that God gave them, right? And they allowed Satan to cross those boundaries. And what happened to them? Their world came crashing down. Life as they knew it came crashing down. They went from living in a perfect, safe environment to a life of just really hardship, hardship. And so it's so important that we don't allow other people to cross our boundaries. Have you ever had this thought, man, that person really gets under my skin? Have you ever had that thought? That would be an indication that you have allowed them to cross your boundary. So can I give you a practical application? Okay, the, to be able to uh, establish healthy boundaries and guard them. First of all, use God's will for your life as your boundary lines. Let God's will for your life be your boundary lines. Lord, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? And then you set up parameters to live your life within the perfect will of God. Again, because if you don't do that, you will be living in other people's will for your life, right? So use God's will for your life as your as your boundary line. And then second, guard them by giving yourself permission to say no. Give yourself permission to say no. You know, God has given no to us as a choice. We have a choice to say yes or to say no. There's no condemnation in saying no. God said in Matthew, Jesus said, simply let your yes be yes and your no be be no. He gave us permission, right? There's um, a lady, her name is Anne Lamott, and she said this, no is a complete sentence. So then why is it so hard to say No. It's such an easy sentence. Why is it so hard? Well, to, fi- to figure that out, we just simply need to ask ourselves, what is the motivation behind why we need to say yes all the time? What is motivating us to have the need to say yes all the time? Is it pressure? Is it guilt? Is it obligation? You feel like you owe them. You can't say no to them. Do you feel stuck like you don't have a choice? Are you worried that you will miss out on a great opportunity? Do you have a fear to disappoint or be rejected if you say no? Do you say yes because you want to avoid conflict or friction? Or do you... Or is it because you have a need for approval or acceptance or acknowledgement? If you can answer one or more of these questions, these are wrong motives behind why you say yes all the time. These are not healthy reasons. They are not reasons that God supports. God has called us to be secure and free in who we are in Christ to live within the parameter of his will for our life and, and to be okay with that and not worry about what other people feel about that. All that matters is how God feels about it, right? If you can't say no, you are conforming yourself to what others expect of you rather than what God requires of you. And you have lost control of your property line. You know, others will expect way more of us than God ever will. People put way higher expectations on us than God ever does. And that's what leads us to ultimate burnout. But let me give you a truth. If you don't give yourself permission to say no, then no one else will give you permission to say it. You know, I love... I love this is one of the things that I love about Todd is that he gives me permission to say no, you know, especially in the ministry. He doesn't put a lot of pressure on me to do every event and get involved in everything and try to learn how to play the piano, which I would, you know, would be horrible. But, you know, he he gives me permission to say no whenever I feel like I'm on the verge of overload or it's just too much for me. I think partly it's because he knows that when I'm tired, I am like the Hulk, like I am a monster. And so he probably does it for his own benefit. But secondly, I think it's because he cares about my well-being, my emotional, my spiritual and my physical well-being. So he's okay whenever I say no. And I appreciate that about him. But the fact is that not everyone will be happy About it when you say no they won't be happy about it at first and I think it's because deep down inside that they wish that they could say no they are trapped in the yes and they really want to say no and so they get upset when you say no because they don't have that healthy practice in their own lives but let me tell you this once the upset wears off what will happen is the respect for you will kick in. You know, saying no is trading temporary popularity for long-term respect. That's what happens when you say no. You are saying, I am trading temporary popularity, what other people think of me, to long-term respect, what they will have for me in the long run. Saying no is not denying the person. It's just denying the request. Saying no, sometimes saying no to others tells your loved ones that they matter most to you. Giving your yourself permission to say no, to stop trying to do it all, right? To stop saying yes to everyone actually allows you to make your highest contribution towards the things that really matter in life. It gives you time. It gives you space to invest in the things that really, really matter. Because I guarantee you there is a lot of things here on this earth that we do that are just going to burn up in the end, right? So we need to establish those boundaries And give ourselves permission to say, no, we have to guard them, right? The principle number two um, that I have learned in God's word. Make and keep as a priority the things that really matter. And again, that just kind of flows along with what I just spoke about. Make and keep as a priority the things that truly, really matter. You know, Jesus was our perfect example of putting this principle into practice. And there are a bunch of instances in the Bible where he focused his time and his energy on the people and events that in other people's minds were trivial. But to him, there were moments that he could operate at his highest level of contribution. And I just want to give you some examples just to name a few. The first one. Is in Matthew 9, when Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house with the tax collectors and the sinners, and the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders, were asking, Why is he with those people? Like he should be with us, with the spiritual people, like talking about godly things. Why is he hanging out with those sinners and, and, and those people? And Jesus heard them, and he said, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, he said, you know, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And he said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And this is where his priority comes in. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. That's what his priority was. And then again in John chapter 4, we all know the, st- the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, or most of us do. You know, there was a Samaritan. Samaritans were not uh, welcomed uh, a society, in society. They were considered half-breeds and dirty and re- rejected because because they were Samaritans. And sh- this woman, Samaritan woman, was at the well. And Jesus intentionally went there where everybody else would walk with detour around because they didn't want to be in that area. Jesus intentionally went there and he ministered to her, a woman who was considered the lowest of the low. And it wasn't the Pharisees. It was his disciples this time that were criticizing him. His disciples criticized him and said, why is he talking to her? She's, she's no good. She's low life. But the Bible says in John 4, 34, Jesus said, look at this, my food, he's saying, my priority is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's my priority. I love you disciples, but right now you are not my priority. My priority is to do the will of him who sent me, right? And what happened that day? That woman's life got transformed. She went back to the city. She told all the people about what happened to her. And many people that day came to know the Lord. Many people, it says, came to believe in him because of her testimony. A third one, really quickly, in Luke chapter 19, we we do, we do all know the story of little Zacchaeus in the tree. And Jesus is walking by, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm, I want to go to your house today. I want to go have lunch with you. Yeah, let's go eat a po' boy or something. You know, I want to spend some time with you, man. And the people muttered and just complained and just criticized and said, he is going to go be the guest of a sinner? But what happened? Zacchaeus' life was transformed as a result of Jesus making him a priority. And in Luke chapter 19 and verse 9, Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house because this man man too is a son of Abraham. Here's his priority. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. Obviously, Jesus made a priority of what truly mattered to him. And that was sinners like you and me. And he didn't allow anybody, not even his disciples, to deter him from that priority, right? So what are priorities? All that said, what are priorities? Well, basically, priorities are things that are essential to us. They are things that allow us to operate at our highest level of contribution, at our our um, our, our highest level of our gifts and callings, right? The highest contribution that we can make. They are things that matter most to us. All of these things are bundled together in God's will for our life. And that's what we need to make a priority. God's will for our life. All right? You know, if we don't deliberately choose what our priorities are, other people, again, will choose for us. Right? Anybody can relate to that. Yes. So here's a practical application. How can I make and keep As a priority, the things that really matter. Well, first of all, we need to simplify to make those things a priority, and then we need to focus to keep them priority. Does that make sense? We need to simplify our lives so that we can make them a priority, and then we need to focus so that we can keep them a priority. So let's kind of unpack this, like Todd says. Let's unpack this. Let's break this down. Let's start with simplify. You know, life is not always better with more. Right? I know the younger generation does not understand that. It's like Greek. But for us who are older, life is not always better with more. Simplifying actually buys yourself space. It buys yourself space. Did you know, probably not, because I didn't know until I found this out this weekend. Priority, the word priority, it came into the English language in the 1400s. When it came into the English language then, it was actually a singular word. One, one priority. It stayed singular for 500 years. It was pluralized by us in the 1900s. Because we thought by, that by changing the word, that we could bend the reality. And now, we have multiple first things. You know, society has given us way too many choices. And so, we need to have a purging system. We have to simplify. We have to have a purging system. So, we need to decide which activities and efforts to keep. And make sure the ones that you keep are the ones that make your highest level of contribution. And then eliminate the non-essential activities. Eliminate everything else. The fluff. The busyness. The things that will burn up. The things that just don't really matter. Okay? You know, there are a lot of good things to do, right? There are a lot of good things that we can be doing. But we want to look for for the things that we can contribute our best to. Our personal best to. Not what their best is, but what our best is. All right? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1 says, There's a time for everything. There's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose a time to keep, and a time to throw away. There is a time in our life where we need to simplify. And if we want to keep our priorities in order and keep our priorities a priority, we need to simplify, right? And then after we make our priorities, and by simplifying, we have to stay focused. we got to focus on them. That's how we keep them is we focus on them, right? You know, this is one of my favorite sayings, and a lot of people know that it is. But there's a saying that says, healthy people are dually aware. Two, dually aware. Healthy people are dually aware. They are doing life, and they are watching themselves do life. You see, not only are they living life and doing life, but they're paying attention to what's actually going on, what they're actually doing in their life. Yeah. Have you ever gotten to the end of a day and you don't know how you got there or what you did all day long because you were too busy doing whatever was thrown at you in the moment? Like you get home from work and you're like, honey, how was your day? Good. What did you do? I can't tell you. I can't remember it was just so much. I can't remember. Again, if we want to keep our priorities a priority, we need to stay focused on them. We've got to pay attention to what is going on in the now, in the present moment. Pay attention to the present moment. Life is only available in the present moment. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is important this very second and focus on that? Right? And, and, and think, what am I wasting my, what am I wasting my time on? You know, this, I actually stayed up very late last night trying to get this message finished up. And at first I was just kind of really kind of not too happy because I was kind of grumpy because I felt like I had a, a really crazy busy week. I had an overloaded week and I was like, no one respected my time. Everybody wanted to, we had to do this. We had to do that. They put this on my plate. They put that on my plate. And it was everybody else's fault. And I was sitting down last night and I was just like exhausted and I was thinking, God, and I was just lamenting to the Lord, Lord, why don't these people care about me? Like they're just like, they don't care that I have to get up Sunday and, and present this to, you know, to your kids. And the Lord said, Tanya, you know, you need to revisit this situation. You really have had plenty of time and opportunities to work on this thing, but you have given other people permission to change your priorities, to tell you what your priorities are. So it's not their fault, it's your fault. And so, of course, at two o'clock in the morning, I was crying and asking the Lord to please forgive me and please not, you know, please help me get through the rest of this preparation because I felt like I was not responsible in in the time that he gave me to make this a priority. You know, there's a scripture in Luke chapter 10 and verse 41 and 42. It's the story of Mary and Martha. And you remember how Martha's sitting at the feet of Jesus and Mary is running around like a chicken with her head cut off and she's complaining. You know, she's blaming Mary and she's tattling on her. You know, Lord, tell her to come help me. Look, you know, I have all this stuff to do. And look, she's just sitting there doing nothing. And what did Jesus say? The, it says the Lord answers, uh, answered Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. He was saying, Mary, he was saying, Martha, you, you are, you are, you're trying to do too much. You you don't have your priorities in check. Mary. What Mary is doing is a priority, and what she is doing is good, and it's better than what you're doing. That stuff can wait. Come and make me a priority. Make me your priority for a minute. Yeah? You know, I heard this saying that we can multitask, but we cannot multifocus. We can multitask, but we cannot multifocus. And then number three, the last principle, make rest a habit. Now, for some of us, rest is a four letter word. But the Bible calls it holy. He calls it holy. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse eight, God said, remember the Sabbath, the Sabbath. He put, he thought it was so important. He put it in the top 10, right? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six day, we are responsible to keep it holy. We are responsible to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, your manservant, your animals, your aliens, whatever you have. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. The sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. You know, again, it's obvious that in God's word, the rest, that rest is not only a biblical principle, but it's a command and it's holy, right? You know, the best asset that we have is ourselves. The best asset that we have for making a contribution is ourselves. But how can we do that if we're dog tired? You know, we damage our asset when we don't rest. We burn out early. We quit early. And some of us die early. We have to replenish ourselves. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Why would we not take care of that? When we rest, we have better energy. We have better creativity. We have better problem-solving ability. And we have better health, emotional and physical. So let me give you really quickly this practical application, and then we're going to close. How do I apply rest? First... Unload the guilt of rest and then take the pause that refreshes. Unload the guilt of rest and then take the pause that refreshes. Again, uh, so many of us, we feel so guilty to rest. Like rest is a four letter word. We just feel like we can't do that. There's too much. There's too much to do, you know? But let me just quickly answer that for you and, and release you from that. Uh, that condemnation in Luke chapter five and 16, the scripture says, but Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. Now, aren't we called to be Christ like, yes, we are called to be like Christ, but he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So there is no condemnation in Christ. Christ. When your kids come up to you or your family comes up to you or a friend comes up to you and can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? Can you do that? And you say, no, I need time to rest. I'm trying to be Christ-like. And there's no condemnation in that, right? (laughs) Blame it on Jesus. He can take it. And then the pause that refreshes. Take the pause that refreshes. What does that even mean? Some of you are probably thinking, what does that even mean? Let me explain to you. Have you ever laid in bed, but your mind is still going? Yes. Um, how about your body leaves the office, but your mind doesn't? For you guys. Yeah? Okay. This is not a pause that refreshes. It's just a pause. Yeah? You know... I feel most stressed personally. I feel most stressed when I have a week-long week. I feel the most stressed when I have a week-long week, when there are no pauses. But we have to take a pause that refreshes. You know, again, like Jesus, we need to withdraw to a lonely place. We need to find a quiet place. You know, grab your favorite non-alcoholic beverage and go find you a place to relax. Yeah? And we need to do it often. You know, we need to put ourselves in time out every day. Every day. We need to take a lunch break, right? Every day. Once every day and one day every week. We need to take a break. We need to do it often. But the third dynamic is the most important dynamic because without it, it's just a pause with it. It's a pause that refreshes and that's spend time with the Lord. Pray, listen to worship, worship music, interact with the Lord. Yeah, that's important. And so again, in closing, I want to just come full circle. You can come up, babe, because I'm just going to close in this and I'll let you take it. Um, you know, again, the scripture, it says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says, come to me and I will give you rest. All of you who work so hard beneath a heavy yoke, wear my yoke for it fits perfectly. God's will for your life fits perfectly. It's the perfect boundary. It's the perfect place of rest. And it's the perfect priority. He says, let me teach you for I am gentle and humble and you shall find rest for your souls. For I only give you light burdens. And so if anything that you take here from here today, can it be that easy? When Jesus says, if you want to overload, come to me. Can it be that simple? Yes. Thank you.